You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. And if you're watching on YouTube, apologies. Had some technical issues here with my internet for some reason. And I'm actually recording the entire episode again because the video didn't work. So uh, for today only, uh, no video. Hopefully, get that up and running for Friday's show. But on the show today, we have a Mets win to discuss. Justin Verlander was great. Brett Beatty had a big game, and the Mets maybe have a little momentum. In the first segment, we'll discuss Verlander. Second segment, Beatty. Third segment, go over Starling Marte's migraine issues and how this team could potentially get by without him uh, if he does miss a little bit of time. Before we get to any of that, though. I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Well, <laughs> hate to say here we go again, but nearing 2 o'clock in the morning as I record after technical difficulties. Sorry, a little frustrated. Let's get to stuff that made me happy tonight, which is watching Justin Verlander pitch. He was great. Okay, that's... The biggest story of tonight. We'll get into the offense later. The Mets put up five runs, had a big fourth inning, and the rookies, once again, a big part of the scoring. But Justin Verlander has to be the main focal point of this segment here because if you get that guy, $43 million doesn't look so expensive. I mean, it's still expensive, but eight innings, allowed three hits, walked one, struck out seven, just gave up a solo home run to Luis Robert. That was it, and that was in the seventh inning. Needed 100 pitches to get through those eight innings and even seemed like he was asking Buck if he needed another one when he came into the dugout, which is awesome to see from a grizzled vet like Verlander. And I think the thing that sets the tone for everything when it comes to Justin Verlander, it's when he's able to effectively work that fastball up in the zone where he's able to you know, get early strikes, get swings on pitches just out of the zone, and also, more importantly, get early outs. You know, outs early in counts with that fastball up. When he's really effective locating that pitch, that's big. And then when the curveball's as good as it was tonight, that's the Hall of Famer. That curveball was dynamic. He threw it 24 times. Let me break down what happened the 24 times he threw that curveball. Seven called for strikes. He got 13 swings on it. Uh, six were whiffs. So that's 13 strikes right there. Four foul balls, that's 17 strikes. So 24 curveballs, count out 17 strikes. Then there was four put in play, all of them for outs. So of the 24 curveballs thrown, three were for balls, 17 were for strikes, four were put in play, all as outs. That's a pretty damn effective pitch, if you ask me. And it's very similar to when Max Scherzer was talking about his slider over the weekend after he had that great start against the Dodgers. And he said, look, you know, I've had a lot of success with that pitch, and he's going to keep going to the well until he finds it, and he found it. Seems like Justin Verlander's found his curveball, and his slider was really good in this one. High whiff percentage on that as well, and 
That's what you want to see. Because if he has that pitch, he looks like this, well, maybe Justin Verlander isn't washed. And it's funny because there's just that scout that said, oh, Justin Verlander, this stuff isn't as crisp. But then he goes out and he looks that good, making that anonymous scout look silly. Although those anonymous scouts never had their names on these stories, really. I guess, you know, I don't remember who had that report. Was it Martino? I can't remember. But it does sort of fit and build narratives. Well, the funny thing is, his last time out, Verlander wasn't great. Um, You know, very wild, as we recall. But over his last seven starts, Justin Verlander has pitched to a 2-2-5 ERA over 44 innings. His whip, and that's including that last start with all those walks, is exactly at one over that stretch. For the season, Justin Verlander has been nowhere near the guy he was last year. He's not pitching to a 1.75 ERA. He's not striking out 28% of the batters he faces. He's not walking a little over 4% like he was last year. Instead, the strikeout rate's around 20%, the walk rate over rate. He has not been the same guy. And in Houston, you look at his entire tenure there. Every single season from when he got traded there in that second half to the 2020 shortened season, to every full season. Well, I guess 2020 is when he got hurt. But regardless, every single season that he pitched in Houston, that whip was well below one. Last year was at .83, I believe. So this year, yes, he's not that guy. And who knows if he's going to get back to being that guy. But if he's simply the guy he's been over these last seven starts, he's pitching to a 2.25 ERA with a whip of one, you'll take that. You know, you'll take the strikeouts being down a little bit because they are down. But if he's getting outs and he's getting you innings, that's what you want to see. I mean, what's that? 44 divided by 7. How many innings is that per start? Beautiful thing about uh, no video today. I can pull out my phone and, and look without looking down. Uh, 44 divided by 7. Ooh, it helps to have a calculator. A little over 6 innings per start. That's pretty good. Speaking of having a calculator, I made a big mistake yesterday. Mental math, as some of you listening to this show for a long time know, not my strong suit. And I was recording late last night as well. And, you know, going through it in my head, I thought six-game winning streak. Just won two out of their four coming out of the break. The Mets have won eight of the last ten. And I was dead wrong because maybe selective memory, I was forgetting those two games they lost to the Padres going into the break. Those momentum-killing losses. I was just trying to forget them, people, but it led me to be very wrong, and I did say that multiple times. The Mets have won eight of their last ten. It was six of the last ten, and even after winning today, it's still six of the last ten. But what I should have said yesterday is they won eight of their last 12, and now it's nine of their last 13. The Mets are playing better baseball as of late. And with two, or sorry, with ten, two turns of the rotation, ten games left before the deadline, you're going to get to see Max Scherzer twice, Kodai Senga twice, and Justin Verlander twice. Six of those last 10 games before the deadline started by those guys. I said going into the break, I was like, all right, well, things aren't looking good, but if the Mets win 10 of the 15 games before the deadline, they'll be in pretty good shape. Now, with what they've done, 3-2 and two out of the first five, they would have to go 7-3 and three to get to that mark of winning 10 of 15. But if they were to accomplish that, which is a big, big gift to say, hey, go win 7 of your next 10. But let's just say they beat the White Sox to complete the sweep. They beat the Red Sox over the weekend. And then it's all right. You got a two-gamer against the Yankees. And then you got the Nationals. You know, try to, to win those last uh, you know, four games. Try to pull it out. 
the Mets are able to do that, you're looking at their July record, and it would be 16 and seven if they went seven and three to close out the month. That would be winning at a 696 clip, right around 700. If the Mets have done that in the month of July, and that again is a massive if, this team will probably be a buyer, not a seller. And that's not me saying what they should do. That's me telling you what I think they will do, knowing who the owner is, you know what his directives are, what that front office looks like, how much they invested in this team, and how much they still want to believe in this team of veterans. And when you have a guy like Justin Verlander, who just this week came out and said, I still want to compete for a championship here, you know Max Scherzer probably echoes those statements as guys that appreciate at the end of their career getting paid this absorbent amount of money. If the Mets can bottle up what they've done over their last 13, because over the last 13, nine wins, pretty solid. They can do that. All right. Maybe there will be a season to watch down the stretch, but I am certainly not pinning my hopes to it because there's every chance the Mets lose this last game to the White Sox, lose over the weekend to the Red Sox, and we will be very seriously talking about a, a Massive sell job a week ahead of the deadline um, as soon as Monday. So a lot that is still up in the air. Before we get into a great game by Brett Beatty that we saw today, today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure that every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage. Look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay's guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The New York Mets play the Chicago White Sox 110 Eastern Time today. Catch every pitch of the Mets hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Mets. Well, for the second night in a row, Brett Beatty homered. First time this year he has homered in back-to-back MLB games. Really good to see. And he got the scoring going in the third inning with that solo shot. Francisco Alvarez drove in the next run, part of a four-run fourth. He went two for four with that RBI single in the fourth inning. Brett Beatty drove in another run that inning as well. Bases loaded, ground out, but he hit it softly. Worked out a lot of times for the Mets this year. That's been a double play ball. Maybe the luck's turning a little bit. Louis Guillaume had a sacrifice fly, and Brandon Emmo an RBI double to close out that four-run rally. But focusing back in on Beatty, again, first time all year he's homer to back-to-back games, and he made some great plays at third base as well. There was one play in particular where he was playing in, Ball hit, you know, to his right down the line, you know, a chopper. Not necessarily, um, you know, a, a extremely well hit ball, but a very tough play to field it on a backhand um, before it either went foul or went past him. To then make the throw in foul territory and 
beat the runner and made that throw on one hop, which was the right call. That was a fantastic play. He also caught a sharp liner. He's making all those catches, or at least most of them, right on pop-ups. There was that one the other night, but the ones in foul ground, we've seen him make some nice plays on. He's playing a solid third base. It's not exceptional. The metrics have Matt at about a league average player, but defensively he has not been an issue, and he has been an improvement over Eduardo Escobar, um, despite what Escobar's best PR would tell you. But the thing is, offensively, he has not been good, and I was a guy that was foolish enough coming into this season to rank Brett Beatty as my top prospect in this system, and the reason I felt like that is because I thought his floor was just astronomically high. I felt like 2022, he answered every question we had about him in 2021, and to see that type of development and the way he made those adjustments, I thought, oh man, sky's the limit. Because in 2021, when he got it to double-A, he pounded the ball into the ground over 60% of the time. 2022, he cut that rate by over 10%. I believe it was actually like 19%. I think it was 42% ground ball rate. Um, that's off the top of my head. But if you check that, I think I'm about right there in double-A last season. He's driving the ball. He was the best hitter in that double-A league. Made it to triple-A. was great. Called up due to injury. Um, and then he got injured himself. But he was... Really good last year. He was great in spring training. I honestly felt like he was really going to take that leap and just be a great starting third baseman from jump. I was wrong. I thought Francisco Alvarez had a big hole in his game with getting velocity high up in the zone and not being able to handle it. And he has found a way to develop this year at the big league level at an astronomical rate. And it's, I think, partially due to his mental side of the game. I think he is just built for the moment. He's built for the stage. He loves coming through in the clutch, and we've seen it time and again. I think Brett Beatty is dealing with that, but the inverse, where I think the mental side of the game is getting to him, and he's now regressing back to hitting the ball on the ground too much. And on the season now, even after a good game, you sit with a 672 OPS. That's not what you want to see. His strikeout rate is higher than it's been since rookie ball. His walk rate Across every stop of his professional career was over 10%. It's now under 10% for the first time since being a professional. So there's a lot more in the tank for Brett Beatty, just simply from an on-base perspective, not even getting to the power numbers. He hit over 300 in high A in 2021, hit 272 in double A down the stretch that year, and that was him just trying to survive in a really tough jump. That jump to double is tough. And him surviving was still a 272 average. He then hit 312 in AA when he was acclimated in 2022. So I really felt like once he gets acclimated to the league, you could potentially see a 300 hitter or at least like a 270 hitter at the big league level. Right now it's at 238. But he just crossed over 250 plate appearances in the majors this season. That's a massive hurdle for any rookie trying to get their feet wet. Once you get to 250 to really the 250 to 400 plate appearance range, if you're really extending it because some guys take more time, that that's where you can at least reserve some judgment on a player and wait to see who he's going to be. Once they get beyond that to 500 plate appearance, you start to see who the guy's going to be. But particularly that first 250, that's the big, big learning curve. And then a lot of guys settle in after that. And here he is right at that point crossing 250, and he's just homering in back-to-back games. Doesn't mean... He's just going to go on an Alvarez-like tear and close the month with seven or eight home runs. I don't think that's necessarily the case. But is there a world where Brett Beatty can get the average up this year and you know hit over 250? I think that's possible. That's not a drastic jump from where he's at. 
You know, can he get the on-base percentage up to 320? Have the slug at 400. He's been slugging 400 over the last 30 days. His last about 20 games. Can he be a 720 to 750 OPS guy by year's end? I don't think that's impossible. And if he does that with solid defense, he's at least not a liability at that position. He's not someone you want to replace. And I think if there's anything we learn from this season. Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez need to be in there as much as possible because they're the future. And they're guys that are going to be key to you in 2024. And if nothing else, if there's going to be an issue with Brett Beatty, you want to learn it this year. You want to give him every opportunity to fail if he does. And so far you could say he has, but I think there's been enough little flashes where you could hold out some hope here that in this these final couple months of this season, Brett Beatty can leave you intrigued going into next year. I don't think that he's going to just completely flip the script and set the world on fire the way Alvarez has at times. But I think you're going to start to see a much more steady at bat at least. A guy's not striking out as much, hopefully. A guy's walking a little bit more, and he's starting to rack up the hits. As much as I want to see him hit for extra bases, to me at this point, I just want to see him hit for average. Hit for average, get on base, play good defense at third base, don't be a liability in that lineup. And I'd be happy with Brett Beatty. And I think he's going to, I don't know if he's going to get there, um, but the last two games have been encouraging to hope that he can. So we'll see if he can build off this. And look, he's got a nice series this weekend in Fenway. Uh, so maybe he can get some cheap doubles going the opposite way off the monster. Um, it's a fun ballpark to hit in. So maybe he can carry this momentum. Um, you know, I, I think Kopech's not a bad matchup for him. Um, so if he's out there, which I'd imagine he would be, maybe he has one good game to close or one more good game to close out this series, and he carries it over. And you never know what a good week in the big leagues can do for someone mentally. So Dick uh, Beatty is on the right track to say the least, but. The guy that's been on the line the last couple of days, Starling Marte, due to migraines. I want to discuss um, what's going on there and you know, the Mets might be better off just putting him on the aisle for a little bit considering how he's played this season. So we're going to get to that in a minute. First, though, another word from our sponsors. The New York Mets play the Chicago White Sox again at 1.10 Eastern Time today. Catch every pitch of the Mets' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Mets. Now, Starling Marte has been going through it lately, dealing with migraines. Apparently, he's been vomiting constantly, seeing a specialist. Not good news for Marte, who's having a rough, rough year. Okay, he's just recently, they, there was a little report about him having trouble this year coming off that double groin surgery in the offseason. And just think about the sound of that double groin surgery. That's rough. And he hasn't looked like himself. But you also have to wonder, can a player really just fall off a cliff like this and be this bad? Because I almost think that, not to give him a pass because he's been out there, he's been playing... But what's this guy actually been going through this year? I, I really don't know. And now these these migraine issues, you have to think that the Mets might consider taking this as an opportunity to put him on ice for a little bit. Give the guy two weeks off. Figure out the migraines. Rest him. 
not to say you're not going to play him if he's good to go, because ultimately the ceiling of Stalin Marte is better than pretty much anything you could put in right field, I would say, and defensively, even though metrics kind of hate him right now, I still think that you know having Mark Canna or Tommy Pham out there regularly in right field probably isn't the best thing for your team, but currently with the way Marte's been hitting, it can't be worse. And you saw Marte scratch. They went McNeil um, in this one with Guillaume at second. So that's their other option. And look, you could say Guillaume is not a great hitter, and that's going to be a big step down offensively. Since he's come back from AAA, he's uh, hitting to a 715 OPS. Starling Marte in that same time period hitting to a 635 OPS. So, not to say he's better than Marte, but Marte hasn't been giving you much. And Guillaume defensively at second base with McNeil in right field, that's probably an improvement as a team. Because I actually think with how Marte's been limited, Jeff McNeil might be a better right fielder right now. And Guillaume, probably a better second baseman than McNeil. So I think that's not a horrible option. I think getting a lot of Canna and Fam in the lineup right now, how of the deadlines, probably smart as well. They're both giving you good at-bats, and you're showcasing them. You know, because there's still every possibility the Mets... Instead of winning seven of the next 10, win three of the next 10 and are complete sellers at the deadline. And these are two guys you can flip. And that leads me to the Ronnie Mauricio part of this discussion. Because I'm sure there's fans that are saying, if Marte's out and you have a everyday spot open, why not finally call up Mauricio? Here's the thing. As much as I've called him right field Ronnie over the last two years, which I have, because I think that should be his home defensively at some point, because athletically, I think he could hang out there. And if he can learn to play the outfield, his arm would play, and I just like that idea long-term of Ronnie Mauricio being the starting right fielder of the Mets. I don't like that for this season. He's still trying to learn how to play outfield. He only has 14 starts in left field in his minor league career. Okay? The last 20 games, it's 13 starts in left, 6 at second, 1 at short. So he's been playing left field predominantly as of late. Why is that? I believe that's foreshadowing the Mets' recent plans of having to have that contingency of possibly selling at the deadline. And if you sell at the deadline, you're probably selling FAM and or Canna, which could clear everyday playing time down the stretch for Ryan Mauricio in left field with Jeff McNeil staying at second. That could be what the Mets have been thinking. Now, you could bring up Mauricio, play him at second place, play McNeil at right, that would be fine as well. But I think defensively, there's still a lot of boxes this guy is trying to check as someone who was always just playing shortstop. And if you're not sure he's going to be in the lineup every day, if you're still going to be playing your veterans, not wise to call him anyway. So if Marta hits the IL, which is still an if, I don't know if they're actually going to do that or if it's just a day-to-day thing. If he's out, I wouldn't be shocked if they went the boring route. And I hate to call this is a boring route, but it's the first you know, description that, that came to my mind. And that would be calling up Danny Mendick again. And having Danny Mendick and Guillaume pseudo-platooning at second base, obviously still having a fair bit of McNeil playing second with Cannon and Wright or however they decide to line it up. But I think that would probably be the more likely move than Mauricio getting the call. Um, but you never know. Maybe the Mets just decide... The upside's there, and let's just play him every day. But I would hope that they do call up Ryan Mauricio, whether it's to contend or if it's because they've sold and they're ready to lean into the youth. I just don't want to see any of these rookies riding the bench the way Mark Vientos did during his stint. So um, you tell me he's going to play, 
bring him up. If he's going to come up and play once a week, just keep him playing every day. Keep developing him. Keep letting him play these positions because in the long run for you know, your franchise and thinking about 2024, that's the best thing for him. So that's where I'm at with that. That will be all for today's edition of Locked on Mets. Uh, thank you to all you everydayers for tuning in. Make sure uh, you tune in tomorrow's show. We'll be breaking down what we would hope is a Mets sweep against the White Sox. I uh, will closing out that series and previewing what lies ahead against the Red Sox. And I will give you some prospect uh, segment tomorrow. I'm still waiting on a guest for that MLB draft coverage. I'm hoping to get it in, um, whether that's on tomorrow's show a little bit. Maybe it's a weekend release. Um, we'll see. But uh, that's why you should make sure you're following, subscribing on YouTube so you do not miss uh, that episode or any other episode as they're released. Also, follow me on Twitter at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show at Locked On Mets. And if you want to catch every pitch of the Mets hometown broadcast, you can do so with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Mets.